So I'd love to tell you that uh, I'm the guy that reads everything I can get my hands on, but I'd be lying to you. That's not who I am. I am the guy that if you look on my bedside table, you'll see about six or seven different books. All of them I've probably read uh, about half. And that's just as long as they hold my attention. And then I jump to the next one and the next one, next one. Um, But I do believe that our readers uh, are leaders, and there's something about uh, one of the books that I've been reading, one of the guys I've been kind of following is a guy named Bob Goff. Now, maybe you've read some of his stuff. Uh, He's a pretty well-known writer. He's a speaker. He was actually an attorney. Um, But one of the ways that he ends his book, uh, I think, really speaks to us. And the, the name of this book is called Love Does. It's a great book. He's got a devotional out right now that I'm actually reading. But I want you to see what he says on the, on the very last page of his book. And it says, Connecting with Bob. It says, One of the things I've learned following Jesus is how much he enjoyed being with people. Except for time with his father, there seemed to be nothing he loved more. He didn't just love the idea of being with people either. He actually loved being with them. A lot of people in the world stopped being available at some point. It says, I've found that the people in my life who have actually been the most influential have also been the ones who have been the most available. Now, I love this. The last line of the book, I don't think Bob knew he was going to sell a million copies of this because then he ends it this way. He says, if you ever want to talk about some of the ideas in this book, just ping me. My phone number is 619-985-4747. He puts his personal cell phone number in his book. And so I don't know if that's the extreme you want to go to, but I know this, after I've read that and begin to think about that and realize that the people that really have made the most difference in my life have been the people that have been available to me. And you love people that are available, but if you're like me, it's a little harder to be available. So I start thinking, is this something that Jesus taught on? I mean, is this something that Jesus valued? And so start thinking about the passage in John 4, where Jesus is with his disciples in one area, in one community, one village. And he hears about a movement that's happening uh, that's a day or so journey away. And he begins to take his disciples over to see and hear about what's happening in this area with some other disciples. He's here that they're baptizing people and that there's a movement going. And so Jesus is on his way from one village to another village. And in John 4, he makes a pit stop at a well. Maybe you know the story, the woman at the well. And Jesus begins to talk to this woman at the well. Everything about that was backwards. He's a man, she's a female, their nationalities, all those different things. But the interesting thing about the passage is that the disciples were more concerned about their schedule. The disciples were ready to get to where they were supposed to go, but Jesus made himself fully available in this moment to talk to this woman at the well. And I want you to see what he tells his disciples because I think it's really interesting. His disciples are worried about food. I worry about food, I get hangry. They were getting hangry. And his disciples asked Jesus this question, where, you know, have you eaten? Can we go get some food for you? And then listen to what Jesus tells them. Okay, this is good. He says, then, then, then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then Jesus tells them this. He says, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's telling me and you this. You ready? Open your eyes. And look at the fields. He says, man, they are ripe for a harvest. Now, this whole thing to see and hear and imagine Jesus looking at you and saying, would you open your eyes? 
I think is what he's telling you and me. It's the heartbeat behind this series, Available. It's to say, would you open your eyes to invest in the people God puts in your life? We started that way. Say, would you look for the people that God brings your way, whether they're in your classroom or maybe they're they're a part of your team at work or maybe they're in your dorm or maybe they're on your soccer team. Would you make yourself available to invite people into your life? It's where we started, and then Cal spoke, I think three weeks ago, and he said, once you see them, would you be available to really invest in them? I mean, it's one thing for me to know Michael. It's another thing for me to open up my life to him and to share a meal with him and to spend time with him and to understand his kids and to understand what they do and to really do life together. He said, don't just come to church. Would you come early and would you maybe leave late? And maybe not just sit in your seat because this is where you always sit, but would you introduce yourself to somebody and be willing to get to know them so that you're really connecting with them? From there, we went to serving. Now, this one stung a little bit because we kind of Jesus-juked you. We said that for Jesus to say, I've come to serve, not to be served, it's a pretty clear connection that that must apply to me and you. That man, the idea of being available to serve is exactly what Jesus did. And so how could we say we're not willing to serve? I mean, that's what Jesus did. He laid down his life for us. So we challenged you last week. Blake talked that message. He said, would you serve people? And would you look for ways to serve? Now this week, this week, we're getting to the last message about being available. And I'm gonna challenge you to say this. Would you be available to give of your time, of your talents, and of your treasure. Now, is that biblical? Is that really something that Jesus asked or demanded of us to do, or is that just something that we're kind of hot on right now? I mean, was Jesus' idea that you just show up in a building with bricks and a steeple, and you come in, you come out, or did Jesus have something bigger in mind? Well, let's see. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 19. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there with us. It's good to see this. It'll be on the side screens or... You can get in the app and you'll see the passage. So Jesus, Matthew 6, verse 19, this is Jesus speaking, and here's what he tells you and me. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures here on earth, because this is where moths and rust, they'll destroy it, where thieves could break in and they could steal it. Verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is a really powerful verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So today I wanna talk about really clearly three ways you and I can store up treasures in heaven. And I think it starts with understanding God's design. Now, I love this because I love teachers. I'm married to a teacher, my wife teaches, and we've got a lot of teachers that are in the room today or maybe some that are watching. And one of the things that you do as a teacher is you lesson plan. Right? You, I mean, you don't just kind of shoot from the hip. You have, a, you, have a, you have an idea of where you're taking your kids. It's a journey that you're seeing them go on through the year so that at the end of the year, they've experienced a lot of different things while they've been in your class. Same thing's true. Man, listen, God has designed some things for me and for you to experience and for us to be a part of. There's a lesson plan, and it starts with the church. I mean, Jesus put the church in motion, and he said, I want you to be a part of something bigger. I want you to be a part of a community. Now, I think one of the first things you and I have to do is we kind of have to unlearn what maybe we learned. Now, think about that. What did you learn? If you grew up in church, what did you learn? Well, I grew up in church, and one of the things I learned, maybe it was on accident, is that you, you, you go to church. Well, the truth is you, you are the church. So which one is it? Do you, do you go to church? 
or, or are you the church? I mean, I learned that to go to church, it needs to, it, where I went to church was red bricks. It had steps and it had a steeple. Where you're at church, if you're at Gulfport right now, you're in an auditorium. So there's some things you and I are beginning to unlearn that we learn because we learn some things that were just of the culture. They were just of the current climate. And what we've got to do is come back and ask, is this really God's design or was this just what the culture gave us? Because what happened is, you remember the game, you, you, you played this, I think it's called Telephone. And you, you whisper one thing in this person's ear and then it goes down the row and it comes back down this row and it goes back down this row and then you see what he says and if it lines up with what you said. See, 2,000 years the church has been in place and I think one of the things that happened is what Jesus said when he looked at Peter and he said, I'm gonna build my church on you. All of a sudden we thought maybe it began to get off just a little bit with this generation and a little bit with that generation and all of a sudden it became, I'm gonna build my church on this dirt. I'm gonna build my church around this personality. I'm gonna build my church around this man's money. And when we go back and we look at the original design, the very first thing, Jesus didn't say attend me, he said follow me. And Jesus didn't say round up a big crowd and a big denomination, Jesus looked right at Peter and he said, I'm gonna build my church on you. And I think that's what Jesus is telling us again today, 2,000 years later. He's still saying the same thing. It, it's you. I want to do something with your time. I want to do something with the talents that I've given you. I want to do something with the treasure that I've blessed you with. I want to use those. My design for you isn't that all those things would just be selfishly consumed by you, but instead I've given those things for you to use as a part of my design. In other words, you are the plan. Now, now, I want to be careful with that because when you hear that, you might think that it's all about you. And I don't think that's the idea. It's all about you that you're to serve and use those things to reach others. That's why he gives us the Great Commission where he says, go and make disciples with what I've given you. You're the plan. The plan is I was gonna build something around how I've blessed you. That's why I've put you in Hattiesburg. That's why I've put you in this community. That's why I put you on the coast to help us launch something there. That's why you gave up your seat and you're a part of now a community or a campus in Jones County because I wanna build something through you and in you. What I've given you is because I wanna use you for a bigger picture. That is God's design. There's really no plan B. You go, wait a minute, how about a revival? Let's bring, let's do a revival. I remember Billy Graham used to do great revivals or, or what if we got Tim Tebow? Well, Billy Graham's in heaven. Tim Tebow's announcing football games. And you're here. You're our Tim Tebow. You're our Billy Graham in that classroom. You're the plan for this area and there is no plan B. Understand God's design. The second thing I think he's telling us is to open up your eyes to your role. So if we're gonna understand God's design of how we're gonna store up treasures in heaven, then we've gotta understand that we have talents. You go, wait a minute, I, I don't know if I do or not, or let me compare. No, go back to scripture. Let's look in Matthew. This is Matthew 25. It's the story of the, of the talents. He says to one man, he gave him five talents. And then the master comes back and he asks him, say, hey, what did you do with what I gave you? Like, I gave you five, how did it go? And he says, look, you gave me these five, I used them, here's five more. To another man, he says, I gave him two talents. Master comes back, he calls him in, hey, what happened? I gave you these two talents, what'd you do with what I gave you? He says, look, here's your two talents, here's two more. And then there's a third man in the story, if you know the story, the parable, it's a man who gave one talent. 
And I want you to see what happens when he calls the man back. The master calls him back and he's asking him, what'd you do with the talent I gave you? So here it is. This is in Matthew 24. Actually, Matthew 25, verse 24. Here we go. He says, then the man who had received one bag of gold came. He said, master, I knew that you're a hard man. Man, you harvest where you've not sown and you gather where you've not even scattered seed. So, so I was afraid. So here's what I did. I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. I'll give it back to you. Just that one that you gave me. His master replied, you ready for this? This is difficult. Here's what the master told him. You wicked, lazy servant. Now that, that hurts a little bit. That should be a wake-up call for you. It's a wake-up call for me. Because the man thought he was doing the right thing. I mean, he was given a talent and he was nervous. He was scared. He was intimidated. He grew up in a culture where all you do is you come and you sit and you see. So he thought, that's what I'm going to do with what God gave me. He said, this was a big place. There's plenty of other people to meet those needs. So I'm just going to hold what God gave me and I'll give it back to him in the same way he gave it to me. And did you see what the master told him? He said, man, you were, you were wicked. You were lazy. He said, but wait, I just buried it. I mean, if I could dig right here under this stage far enough down, I'll find the thing that you gave me and I'll give it back to you. And he says, no, I, that's not what I want. That's not why I gave it to me. You missed the whole thing. You missed the purpose behind it. I know you were scared to step out in faith and it, and it, can, be, it can be nerve wracking. I know your budget was tight and to think about, even consider trying to find room or margin in your budget to begin giving is almost overwhelming. I, I know your, 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 your time there is no time. I know that. But you settled for that. You walked in and you walked out, but yet you have a gift and a passion in you that I was never able to use. I was never able to cultivate. And because of that, he says you were lazy with it. You, he says you were wicked with it. And I don't want to, I don't, I don't this feels like you're getting kind of beat up a little bit, but I, I, I feel beat up by that because it's easier to not use what God gave us. It's easier to kind of stay on the sidelines and when I think about where the design or the culture, the model, it's almost like I'm going to hold what I got until someone asks me to use it or I, 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 I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified enough. I'm just going to bury what I have. And he says, no, no, no. I want you to use what you have. So how do you know? Like, how do you know if you've buried your talent? How do you know as you're watching today, if, if you're able to have a little test, a little exam, are you using your talent in the design and in the area that God's put you? Well, here's how you know. If you evaluate Sundays by what you get or by what you give, if you sit down around the table and you say, what did you get out of today? Well, that's probably a sign that you're not using your talents because you're asking, what did you get? If you sit around the table and you say, hey, tell me about what you gave today. And you're able to talk about, well, I, I, man, I gave a listening ear to a young couple. Man, I gave my time and I gave my attention to some kids. Or, hey, can I tell you something? I, I gave a portion of our income today towards something bigger. Man, I gave my time this weekend to go do a sports camp with kids that have never had that. I gave my time this weekend to put on a camp at an apartment complex. Man, I gave whatever it might be, but I gave something of me. If you evaluate church and you say things like the church should... Or if you say they or them, then you're not using your talent. If you say I or me or we, 
then you can know and you can rest assured that I'm using what God gave me to be a part of what God designed. The servant's issue is really simple. He didn't do anything with what God gave him. He did not use what God gave him to be part of a bigger story. And then the story ends with this. Go back and read it, Matthew 25. It says, the servant who was given one talent had profound regret. And we're talking today about how to have treasures in heaven. So at the end of the day, with the talents that God's given you, are you gonna have profound regret because you didn't use those in part of God's story? Or are you gonna have treasures in heaven because man, you allowed God to use and to bless others through what he's given you? It's two really different pictures. One picture is of church you come in and you sit and see. Another picture is of church is where you give your time, your talents, and your resources, and you're a part of something bigger. It's the lesson plan. It's the book of Acts. It's God's original design when he said, Peter, I'm gonna use you. And today he's saying, I wanna use you for something bigger. Number three, store up treasures in heaven. Would you open up your eyes to your future story? Look back at the verse, you ready? It says our theme verse, Matthew 6, 20. But store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Treasures on earth. Treasures in my neighborhood. Treasures on my resume. Treasures in heaven. I'm gonna tell you, this is hard for me because I, uh, I feel like I have 20-20 vision when it comes to my needs, <laughs> my desires. Like I'm, I'm, I can be nearsighted. Nearsighted means I see really well right in front of me. Far, I, I don't see you so well far out. Like if you ask me what do I need and what do I want, I can tell you with a lot of clarity. If you ask me what are the needs of those around me, I sometimes miss those. I think that's probably typical of a lot of men. I'll tell young couples in, 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 in uh, engagement counseling, you know, they've just gotten engaged and lots of times whichever partner in the relationship's a little more reserved, a little more laid back, I'll say, hey, I need you to speak up. I need you to say, I need you too. Because someone in the relationship is typically a little more selfish and that's me. I can be selfish. I cannot see the needs that are around me. But what he's saying here is for treasures in heaven, you need to see other people's needs. You need to begin to find the set of lens, find the glasses, find the contacts that you can put on that'll allow you not to be quite so selfish. That's hard for me. This is an area I struggle, so let's get practical. How can we begin to combat that? If you're like me, you got 20-20 vision on what you need and what you want, what can you do to begin to see others and to build up treasures in heaven? The first thing, application here, is think in terms of patterns and habits. Patterns and habits. What are some patterns and habits that you're putting in place to help you see others? Let me give you an example, and, and I, I heard this in a message uh, somewhere, uh, but it was about coins, and it says, well, these three areas we're talking about, the first one is time, that time is like a coin. When you spend your time, there's no getting it back. When I spend this coin, it's gone. And some of you, man, by the, time you, uh, by the time Sunday comes, you're so drained, you're so booked, you're so, every other tournament, you're out of here. You don't have any time left. It's gone. You spend it on a lot of things that maybe they were good, but the reality is when it comes to you giving your time back to God and his design, it's gone. There's none left. Then he says your talents. He says, I've given you talents. I've given you gifts. And man, you use those gifts in the PTA and you use those gifts at your business. My goodness, you use those gifts to create a lot of money for you and a lot of income for you. You use those gifts to start some incredible businesses. But, but 
What about using your talent to affect people's lives and to give back to the body of Christ? Have you used your talents to lead a house church? Your talent of hospitality to open up your, your home? Your talent to teach and disciple kids to pour into kids on a Sunday? How'd you do with your talent? And then he says, it's gone. What about your treasure? I know you spent your treasure on a lot of different things and some of those were good things, but what about giving of your treasure? I mean, if you were to see all of your treasure, because once you spend it, it's gone, what, what, what'd you do with some of it to give it back to, to me? You go, well, give me some scripture. First Corinthians 16, he says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Old Testament calls this a tithe. The New Testament uh, simply calls this the first fruit. He says, I want you to give back to me. Paul is teaching, he's talking about a lifestyle of giving. He says, it's a way of worship. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, I get it now. This is another message about my money. Listen, this is not a message about your money. This is a message about where your money is taking you. Because Rosie quoted Jeff and she said, money make you funny. And he's right. And the reason the New Testament talks about it so much is because it's important. Your money will take you somewhere. Your heart follows your treasure. You've heard this analogy when you go out to the soccer fields, the football fields, the baseball fields, and you watch your kids out there. It's like your treasure is on that field and you are passionate about it. Man, you know all about it. You care about it. If your kid is a bass fisherman, man, you care about those tournaments. You wanna talk about them and show pictures because that's your treasure, you should. And one of the things scripture is saying, the reason I want you to begin to give and start this practice of giving is because your money is where your heart goes. And when you give a portion of your money, your treasure to my work and the kingdom and this community, man, your heart now cares. You're now invested. You go, well, should it be pre-tax or post-tax or 10% or 11%? Man, j just start with giving something because what we're concerned about is the direction of your heart. The principle here is not about how much. The principle is where is your heart and how do we begin to follow it? Ephesians 5, 15 says, so then, would you just be very careful how you live? Do not be unwise, but wise, making the best use of your time. So now we're talking about time. We talked about treasure a little bit. We used our coin. We're going back to our coin again on time. You've only got so much of it. Two weeks ago, I had Chaz Richardson up here. And uh, Chaz and Kristen are at the Lincoln Road campus. I just saw Kristen come in and they've got three kids. All three are under seven. Their youngest is six months old. And for the last year, they've been hosting and leading a house church in their home. Three kids, they both work, they're both physicians. They're six month old, about 20 adults and 20 kids come to their house every week. So how do you do that, Chaz? Like that, that doesn't add up. He said, it's because I see my time like I see my treasure. And we go ahead and say, I'm gonna give X percentage of my time to a kingdom cause. I'm gonna give it back to the church. So that's the only way we can do it. He says, for us, it's a priority. Now, as you begin to think about that, habits and priorities, I know you, you go, I just don't have time. I know that's where you're gonna have to make time. Think about social media. Maybe you know this or not. You heard this. Typical person spends uh, 140 minutes a day on social media, two hours and 20 minutes a day. I get that. I mean, I just got the report on my phone about how much time I spent. We've got one of our pastors at Stone County, Tyler Edgars down there, and Tyler's 30 years old. He's married and just had his first child. 
And one of the things Tyler did as soon as he had a child, he realized I'm gonna have to change some of my patterns. I've gotta change some of my habits. And so he got off social media and he began to tell me about the freedom he's found being off of social media. He said, man, I have more time. I'm not finding myself comparing myself to different things. It's like all of a sudden there's more of a window for me to set new patterns and new habits in place that are helping me store up treasures in heaven. Again, at the end of the day, are you gonna have profound regret Spend all my time on Facebook, two hours and 20 minutes a day, just on average. Or are you gonna say, man, I use two hours and 20 minutes to store up treasures in heaven because I set new patterns and new habits in my life. Number two, second application, think priorities. And I just, man, I just need to be transparent. This is hard for me. I've got a, I've got a fifth grader and a seventh grader, and we're in a season of life right now where everything is after our time. It's just where we are. And so Katie and I sat down yesterday and we had to begin to start thinking practically, like what are the priorities? And really the question we were asking is have any of our priorities gotten out of whack? I mean, have, have some of the things that we signed up for taken more time than we thought they would? And because of that, we've gotten out of balance. So we had to ask ourselves, what are the priorities gonna be? You remember when COVID hit? Strangest thing happened, everything stopped. And you and I went home and we had meals together. And it was the weirdest reality because we didn't have practice. We didn't even have school. For nine weeks, we didn't even have church where we met together in a building. But now everything's back full steam and you and I are still catching our breath and it's like we had margin, now we have none. And you know the old saying, if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. And you look up and you go, man, I've lost my priorities. And I look up, we look up, and we're saying the same thing. Here's the thing that makes this difficult. Byron Malone at the Hunt Club says this. This is one of the wisest things I've heard. What parents minimize, our kids will never maximize. Think on that for a minute. I told you the story about Chaz Richardson. You know what Chaz's parents? Chaz's parents put some of the same things in practice when Chaz was growing up. He grew up in church. He grew up watching his parents give. It was something that they maximized. So Chaz with his family now maximizes the priority that church holds. It's okay if that's not your story. The question is, what is gonna be the things that your kids, that the next generation see from us? What are the things we maximize? I'm gonna tell you some of them. We maximize school. And, and I think we do that at my house. We don't miss many days. We're there most every single day. We do our homework. We, 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 do the, we do the things we're supposed to do. It's important for us. We maximize it. We maximize sports, and we've got to be careful with that. It's something we do. We play travel ball. Both of my kids do. But the thing we're having to watch out for is we have realized that sports will take as much as we will give them. And we've got to put some boundaries in place because it's not something that we want to maximize over spiritual development. Say, so is that in Scripture? Well, it is. Not exactly soccer reference, but Colossians 3.23. They might have played soccer. Anyway, Colossians 3.23. It says, whatever you do, do it with all of your heart. And the thing I'm realizing is maybe you and I, maybe our worship is off because our priorities are off. Would you begin to start small? Start small with your giving. Man, start small. Just give something because it's the direction of your heart. Where your treasure goes, your heart goes. So, man, just figure out how you're going to start that rhythm. Start with some kind of gift that you're going to give regularly because when you do that, your heart goes in that direction. So then your time. Start small, 15 minutes a day, five minutes in prayer, five minutes worshiping, five minutes doing the Bible reading plan. Start small with your talents. All of a sudden say, I'm going to do something in my life that doesn't benefit me. You're going to blow your family's mind. 
but start small and say, I'm gonna start a new discipline where I give just a portion of my time, my treasure, and my talents. And where your talents go, where your time goes, where your treasure goes, it's all controlled by your heart. That's why the theme verse of this message, here's how I'm gonna close it, watch carefully. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Also, the last question, what's the condition of your heart? It's where it all starts. What's the condition of your heart? You remember the moment where Jesus was sitting down with Simon the Pharisee? And Simon the Pharisee was, man, he had all the clout. He had all the influence. He had all the resources. And they're sitting there dining together. And it's just a, man, it's a stuffy environment. Jesus is just trying to get to their heart, but they want to talk about all the different laws and all the different things they've memorized and done. It's just one of those environments. It's just a fight for power. And all of a sudden, there's a woman of the night that comes in. She circles around. She's not allowed in that room, in that environment, but she sneaks her way up there. She, you know the story. She lets her hair down. Remember, she begins, to qu- she begins to cry. She wets Jesus' feet with her tears. That's so opposite of everyone else that's in the room. She uses her hair to wipe his feet. It's just a picture of humility, and her heart is so right. And then she takes her treasure. She takes the perfume, the one thing that she has, and she opens it up. Are you ready for this? Watch this. She pours a little bit. She pours the whole thing out. It's her way of saying, Jesus, you are the only thing in my life that is stable. I'm putting all my faith, all my hope in you. I'm gonna give you all of my treasure. And then Jesus stops the conversation with all the influencers in the room and he says, do you see the condition of her heart? That's the example. Don't tell me about how much you've given. Don't don't, don't quote how many Sundays you've missed. This isn't about legalism. The question is the condition of your heart. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples, would you open your eyes to see the condition of your heart? You're not even seeing the woman at the well. And he says, the fields are ripe for a harvest. You just have to make yourself available and you just have to check the condition of your heart. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your grace. And I thank you that although there's different seasons of my life that my heart hasn't been right, that God, you're still patient with me. And I thank you that we're in process. That God, it's just, it seems like as iron sharpens iron, that's why you put us in community together so that we could, we could sharpen one another and we could speak into each other's life when we see that maybe we're out of balance. Maybe our priorities have been off. And God, I just pray that we would open our eyes to to your design, that we would open our eyes to really being available to the people you've put in our life and the people you want us to invest in and to serve and that we would see things differently. We wouldn't see all the ways you've blessed us just as a way to build our resume or our experience, but we would see the heart behind why you've blessed us and it's to, to bless others. And so God, help me hold on lightly to the things of this world. And help me build up treasures in heaven that will last. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church Podcast. To find a campus near you, check out VentureChurch.org.